Good evening and welcome to Subject ACT on your people-powered radio, 2XX FM 98.3. On Subject ACT, we bring you stories from our local Canberra community and beyond, exploring current and community affairs from a curious and informed perspective, affairs with a global dimension. I'm Sophie Singh and it's lovely to have your company. We're speaking today on Subject ACT with Angela Fredericks. Angela is a social worker in the town of Bilawila and has been spearheading a campaign to support a family who are now being held in immigration detention, fearing deportation to Sri Lanka. And Angela's campaign is aimed at having the family released and allowing them to return to their home in Bilawila. Angela, thank you very much for joining us on Subject ACT today. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Sophie. Can you tell us the story of Priya and her husband, Nadez, and their two young daughters, Kopika and Tharunika? What brought them to Bilawila and what were they doing in the town? Yeah, so Nadez and Priya, they both arrived separately to Australia and it was within Australia that they met and became married. And they actually came to our town of Bilawila Prior to their marriage, they actually got married at our local courthouse. And here in Billawilla, they just started as any first migrants who were brought across. They were brought across from Christmas Island. So initially, Nadez wasn't able to find work immediately. So he actually started by volunteering at our local St Vincent's de Paul. He then got a job working as a trolley collector at the local Woolworths. And then he finally, he got a job at our local abattoir. And there was where he was able to start to really plant down roots and get some financial security for him and his wife, Priya. And eventually then they, of course, welcomed little Kopika into the world. Had you been working with the family in any professional capacity or is it purely a, a friendship? So I first met them through work, just passing hall sort of thing up at the hospital. Right. Obviously, small hospital, we come across everyone. However, it was then more they used to attend a play group at my church. So then knew them there. So it, yeah, as happens in rural living, work and then friendship often merges. Of course. Angela, tell us a little bit about Billawilla. So it's a a town of just under or just over 6,000? Yeah, so that's correct. So we've got a population around 6,000 within Billawilla and then our broader shire, which is the Banana Shire, is around just under 15,000, if I'm correct. And so our shire, it's a real cross of industry. So we've got a massive um, farming sector. So from cattle, we do herbs, cotton, grain. And then we've got the um, coal mines as well as power stations and the meatworks. So we've really got a very broad cross-section of people living in Billawilla. Has it been one of the towns that refugees and asylum seekers have settled in and sought to rebuild their lives? Most definitely. So Billawilla has were affectionately known as the Shire of Opportunity and we were originally set up by migrants, so particularly Russians, Italian, Greek after um, the World War and so we've always been a place where we've welcomed migrants and so we welcomed our first lot of 
refugees, I believe that was back in 2015, and we worked within community to make sure this was a welcoming place to settle. And since then, we live and breed migrants, so we, we need them in our abattoirs, in the power station and the mining industry. Lots of our local shops, coffee shops, restaurants are run by immigrants. And we hear often about the difficulties that rural areas, regional areas have in attracting enough people to fill the jobs and to, and to make sure that, that those industries are sufficiently staffed. So is that something that Billa Wheeler also faces as a difficulty? Oh, definitely. So lots of our local industries, so particularly the abattoirs, and I know even in the mining industry, they have actually relied on having to source people through the 457 visas to come and work here purely because they cannot attract, you know, local Australian yes. people to yeah. work in the sectors and particularly work in the abattoir because it's not necessarily the most pleasant work. And so finding people who will actually commit to long-term employment has been quite difficult. And you could see then very much firsthand the benefits that having new people come in and settle and be part of the community rather than, if you like, fly in, fly out provides. Oh, definitely. Just in terms of, you know, Nadez and Priya, they would. They'd attend the local markets and, you know, if there were events on the weekend, they would be there. And we especially love it when we get families because that then means we're putting students into the schools, yep. which then funds for more teachers and teachers then bring their families. Yep. So in order to actually grow a rural area, we do, we need families. Yep. As new people arrive and bring new cultures and cultural practices into the community, how is that process of acculturating or breaking down barriers, how has that been achieved? Yeah, so originally prior to welcoming our first arrival of refugees, an actual community committee was set up where local business owners, the education system, health, all came together and looked at how we do support this as a community. And that's something that has continued to be topics of conversation. So whether it was starting the parents group for the women who have children in the schools. It's been, you know, English classes through the abattoir meatworks. So very much looking at how do these people come to Australia, learn our ways and then become part of the community. So we definitely don't want a segregated community. Angela, tell us what happened on the 5th of March last year to Priya, Nadez, Kopika and Tharunika. So on the 5th of March... They were greeted by a knock at the door uh, around 5am and at that time Nadez was actually getting ready to get in the car and go to work and Priya was up as well tending to Tyrannica, actually warming up her bottle. And from what we've been told since from them, Border Force walked in and we're not talking about a couple of people, there was around 20 Border Force and police officers there and they pretty much gave them 10 minutes to pack up what they wanted and then they were put in cars and transported to Gladstone Airport, which is an hour and a half away. And I guess what really upset not just me but everyone still to this day is the fact that, yeah, the children were separated 
from their parents. Reports from the neighbour was that they were awoken and brought out to Prius screams and that still just sends chills down my spine, just the trauma that that has inflicted on that whole family and particularly those kids. And so from there, from Gladstone, they were put on planes and transported to Melbourne to the immigration transit accommodation. And that's yeah. where they are to this day? Yeah, so they were at one point taken across to Perth and they were actually put on a plane to be deported. And fortunately, some amazing legal people were able to get them off that plane. And so then they were taken back to the Melbourne Detention Centre. And Angela, what are the conditions like for them in that detention centre, which you might call it a transit accommodation, but by any it is essentially a detention centre. I mean, are people able to visit them? Do the girls have access to activities that might stimulate their developing minds? So when they were first taken there, they were put in the family accommodation section. That is a separate section of the facility from the individual's And as they were the only family at the time, they were essentially isolated. Thankfully, they were all put together. So they were contained into a sort of a housing accommodation. So they had access to a room and they did have a living room. However, they did have a guard watching them 24-7. So not really a comfortable environment to be in. And since that time, they have been joined by some other families and so they have actually gotten a bit more contact, which has been nice. However, the girls, they do not have any social contact with other children their age. There is one other little girl who is in there with them now who's similar to Tarinika's age, a bit younger. So they really rely on, and the girls' favourite time is when they do get a visit because a visit involves them going over to the main compound to the visitor's centre. And the first time I visited, it brings a smile to my face just remembering Kopika at three years of old just doing laps of the visitor's centre and just running up to everyone. I think just the excitement of seeing other people and it's really quite sad to know that it's now been well over 10 and a half months that they've been subjected to those conditions. How are Nadez and Priya coping, not just the fear of deportation, but the fear of what this is doing to Kopika and Tharunika? So I myself specialise in trauma. And so for me, sitting back and watching the trauma this family is experiencing I know the effect this is having on their long-term brain development and psyche. So for Priya and Nadez, I honestly, I I do not know how they do it. They try to put on that very strong face and try to be happy for the girls. But at the same time, after every failed court attempt, the hopelessness, and I myself spend a good time on the phone just trying to bring them out of that hopelessness again. And more than anything, it's the fear they have for their girls. I know for Priya, she's terrified for Nadez, but it's the fear of what will happen to her girls if they're returned. The town's rallied behind Priya and Nadez and the campaign to have them released and brought back to Biloela. Is there 
any greater understanding of why they were removed and why it was necessary to remove them in the manner in which they were removed? Yes, so what it all boils down to, it's the fact that upon Priya's visa expiring, her temporary visa, when she would usually get a renewal and all the paperwork was in for that, the government has decided that they're no longer reviewing particularly Tamil visas. And this is because Australia's protection obligations state that Tamils are not in danger of being returned to Sri Lanka. And this is against all the documents, all the evidence provided by the United Nations and Amnesty International and so many other special rapporteurs who are on the ground in Sri Lanka who all clearly state that the Tamil population continue to be subjected to harsh conditions, including torture and isolation, etc. And so I think that's what we really want people to understand as well. It's not because their visa expired and they were flaunting the system. It is because Australia really isn't upholding national protection standards. And what people don't realise is it wasn't until they had Kofika that um, Priya was allowed to actually submit her claim for asylum. So what lots of people don't realise is she was living in Australia for three years, brought here by the Australian government, and she couldn't even apply for asylum until 2015. Kofika is three years old, is that correct? Yeah, she's three years old. Okay. And so really, Priya, for that three-year period before she was permitted to lodge her claim, was living in limbo? Yeah, most definitely. So um, was just on the temporary protection visa and yeah, had had no right to claim asylum until the government lifted a bar. As soon as that happened, she immediately proceeded with her claim. Three years is a long time, isn't it, Angela? Oh, most definitely. And during that time on that visa, she, of course, has had no right to work or to study. So she was purely for that time just living at home and participating in community life. Before the forced removal of Priya and Nadez from Biloela, was there much awareness more broadly within the community about Australia's refugee policies? No, there definitely wasn't. I even put myself in that same category. I think living out here in this community, I guess we do sort of isolate ourselves a bit from world affairs. I won't stereotype for everyone, um, but I think lots of us, you know, we just get about our day-to-day business. And I think it has been just talking to people in the community, even just today at the local hardware, just the lack of knowledge that everyday Australians have about refugees, about immigration, about visas. And it has really made us realise, and hence late last year we actually held a Tamil feast, because we've actually gone, we need to start paying attention, because we do, we have a very multicultural community here, and I think they like to leave their past behind when they come here because they want to integrate. But I think it is actually really important that we understand where people come from and why they've come here, 
and then we are able to be there to help them on that journey. That uh, lack of awareness of the situation facing people who've had to flee and are seeking asylum and the impact that Australia's policies are having isn't confined to smaller communities. That lack of awareness exists in the large metropolitan centres as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely the case. If you've just tuned in, the program is Subject ACT with me, Sophie Singh, on your people-powered radio 2XX FM 98.3. Tonight we're in conversation with Angela Frederick. Angela is at the forefront of her campaign to have a Sri Lankan family currently being held in immigration detention to be released and permitted to return home to Bilawila. So Angela, have you been able to uh, get any hearing from your local member? So Ken O'Dowd, a National Party member, is your local parliamentarian? Yes, that's correct. So I've been bitterly disappointed in Ken's lack of contact, I guess you'd even say. So very initially when it first broke and when this first happened, our local state member was in contact with um, Ken O'Dowd, and he very much from day dot has stood behind the Liberal Party line. And I guess it's really quite disappointing because in the Desert's ministerial application, he had letters from our local mayor, he had letters from his employer basically saying what a fantastic citizen Nadez is in this community. And so I guess it's very disheartening when our local member doesn't respond or listen to the people that he is meant to represent. Contrasting the lack of response that you've had from your federal member, what sort of response have you had from the broader Australian community to the campaign and to Priya and Nardes and the girls? Absolutely overwhelming. So I did release a petition the first day when I found out and that is currently sitting at over 166,000 supporters. So coming from a community of 6,000, I can't even comprehend that number in my head. So support has been overwhelmingly positive. Of course, there have always been people not in support, but what's been interesting is once you start talking to those people and once they get the facts, it's amazing just to see the shift in thinking and I think that's the key with this case is it's not always what it appears on the surface. And part of your campaign, Angela, was to call on the airlines to refuse to carry Nutters and Priya and more broadly people in the event of a deportation. Did you get any sort of hearing from the airlines on that? Yeah, so to date we haven't actually received any, I guess, public correspondence to say that they are hearing that message. However, a small victory was I did attend the Qantas AGM, which I am actually a stakeholder in, and I attended that and I posed the question to the CEO and to the board. And whilst it wasn't, you know, an overwhelming success in terms of there was actually a motion to change some of their standards, he, he did very much verbally agree that they would never knowingly transport someone to danger. So just to have that in verbal, to me, that's a start. Most and, definitely. of course, there are further conversations that need to happen there. Yeah. However, I guess the, the real concern is that in Australia, for these sort of mass deportations, 
they do tend to use non-commercial airlines. And so I would love to see the leaders in the industry, so Qantas, Virgin, to actually step up and actually show that they will take a moral standpoint and hopefully those non-commercial companies can actually feel some of that pressure. Just getting that hearing and being able to articulate that position is a step forward. Yeah, definitely. So what is the next step for Priya and Nadez? Have they exhausted uh, legal avenues? So what's their current status? So currently the core verdict from the federal court was that they... It was a negative result in terms of reassessing the IAA's decision. There is the ability to appeal that in the High Court and that is what our legal team are currently working on and looking at. However, the real concern is that they they are only protected at the moment up until the 1st of February and that is when the court has said that the Department of Home Affairs can deport the family. Yeah, legally, and I think this is this is the other important thing for people to realise is that the legal system and the courts they're actually not considering the merits of Priya's refugee claim. They are only purely looking at if the Immigration Assessment Authority has made a mistake in their review. And I think that's where Peter Dutton's comments around you know, their case has been considered by multiple courts and panels, is actually incorrect because they're not looking at the merits. So, Angela, recap, what was it that Minister Dutton said? So, Peter Dutton, so I have it, I'll quote, all of that has been considered by multiple courts, by multiple panels of people who have looked at every single detail in relation to that case and every single adjudicator on that matter has found that those people are not refugees. That is what Peter Dutton commented. However, there have only been two times that the criteria of refugee status has actually been looked at, and that's been by two individuals. Certainly there's a disconnect there between the actual times that the substance of Priya's claim has been looked at and the statement by Minister Dutton. Yeah, most definitely. And having that sword hanging over their heads and the 1st of February must be terrifying. Oh, absolutely. And when that decision was first handed down, again, the hopelessness I observed in Priya and Nadez. And that's what I do. I thank the people of Australia because it was their messages of hope and support that actually reignited the hope If people want to provide support, if they want to find out more, where can people go? What's next for the campaign? So I think first step is if people do go to change.org and sign the petition, which is bring Priya and her beautiful family back home to Billawilla. If they sign on there and receive the emails, that will give them regular updates as to what's happening. And we'll put a link to that petition on the subject ACT Facebook page as well. That'd be fantastic. Angela, thank you very much. You've done a brilliant job with the campaign and there are people all around Australia supporting you and supporting Priya and Nadez. So uh, well done and, and thank you for the work that you've been doing. No, I just... 
Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. And thank you for telling us about it and coming on to Subject ACT. It's been great speaking with you. Great. Thanks, Sophie. Wonderful. Thanks, Angela. And that was Angela Fredericks, Bila Wheeler resident, fighting to have Priya, Nadez and their two little girls, Kopika and Tharunika, allowed to return to their home and their community in Bila Wheeler. And last Saturday, around the country, rallies were held in support of the family, including here in Canberra. Bianca and Andrew, now Canberra residents, but formerly from Bilawila, spoke at the Canberra rally on behalf of the community. Hi everybody, we, Andrew and I, are proud to be here as representatives of the Bilawila community today. And together we would like to read a poem by Bilawilan resident and close friend of the family, Marie Austin, called Aussies Look After Their Mates. You all know the story. It didn't take long for word to get around of very special friends of mine taken from our hometown. Little Bilawila, we were making headlines in the news as this precious Tamil family, their freedom, they did lose. An early morning raid and from their home they were torn, Priya and Nadas and their little girls who are Australian born. Hard working, warm and friendly, anyone could tell. This community minded family had integrated well. They were not here in hiding and they didn't break the law. Mr Dutton, why after all these years can they stay no more? They worked and they participated, pitched in in every way. And there are lots of people who want to let them stay. Yes, we hear the chants of people whose minds are filled with fear. They're forming gangs, they're terrorists, and we don't want them here. They take all the things that we want and that we're entitled to, like our jobs and our welfare payments, just to name a few. To those of you who feel this way, this simply isn't true. You couldn't begin to imagine just what they've been through. I respect that we need policies to keep our borders secure, and I know not all who come here come with good intent for sure. But you gave me the right to an opinion when you asked me to make refugees feel at home here in Australia, make them welcome, help them heal. From the traumas they've experienced in the countries that they've fled, why give them a taste of life here, then steal it from them instead? You allowed Priya and Nadez to live in Billow for many a year. You allowed me to get to know them and build a friendship very dear. These people aren't just numbers. They didn't come to cause us strife. They are a mum, a dad, their daughters. They are a husband and a wife. They are co-workers, they are neighbours, and they are our friends. And it's time that their detainment is brought to an end. The way that they've been treated, it just leaves my heart to break. Just how much of this added trauma can one poor family take? Now over time, the days have passed. 10 months is far too long. It seems the large majority can see that this is wrong. We've signed petitions and we've rallied, made a constant plea. Because there are those in power who could put an end to this, you see. So if you haven't done so yet, there's something you can do. Please phone and write to David Coleman and your local member too. Ask for intervention to be generous and humane. In the interest of the public, grant our friends a visa and bring them home again. As many plan to celebrate Australia Day next week, two precious little Aussies are locked up as we speak. One is just a three-year-old, the other only one, and they are being punished for something they haven't done. As other little children prepare to start preschool very soon, three-year-old Kopika will remain locked up in a room. Please, Minister, you truly know their future won't be bright. Just turn this situation round and make this wrong a right. 
Just like the cockatoo, please let them spread their wings and fly. Back home to Biloela. We want them here, that's why. Now please don't think us Billow folk are doing something great. We're just your everyday Aussies. And Aussies look after their mates. And that brings us to the end of tonight's Subject ACT. I hope you've enjoyed it and thanks for your company and have a great rest of your week.